The message you're about to hear has been made possible by the continued financial support of the friends and partners of Faith Hill. To find out more about how to become a partner, be sure to visit faithhill.tv. And so we started a series uh, three weeks ago talking about uh, receiving and ministering healing. Amen? And uh, we, we established through that series that God's absolute perfect will for us, for you and I, is uh, divine health. Amen? It is divine health. Uh, God wants us to function at a place of divine health. Uh, is previously read, 3 John uh, 2, you know, chapter 1, verse 2. Uh, it says, Beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Amen? And so these are not fairy tales. This is scripture that is backed up by God's power. You know, whenever God gives his word, he backs it up with his power. Amen. Uh, I like to look at God's uh, uh, words uh, of promise in the Bible as a check. There are two kinds of checks. Uh, there is one that, you know, way back in the days of checks, some of you may not know what that is. Uh, but way back in the days of checks, you know, the, there were two kinds of checks. There is one that the bank will honor. And then there was one uh, that the bank would dishonor. The reason, for the most part, uh, for the dishonor of uh, a check was usually a lack of funds. So someone would give you a promise that they really can't back up. And it used to happen a lot in the church, in the faith movement. You know, a lot of people wanted to be big givers, but you don't give by faith. You give by what you, what you got. So people would write all these uh, big checks trying to show off. You know, the, uh, when the 10,000 crew are called up, they would, you know, come and wave that little thing, put it in there. And then you turn it over to the bank. The bank would say, no uh, insufficient funds, so we're not going to honor. Now, when God gives you his word, uh, it's always sufficient. It's always got sufficient power. He's always got sufficient faithfulness to make sure that he will carry out what he promises. We call it God's faithfulness. And so when we read, you know, these, these Bible verses, I don't want you to uh, think of them as poems. That's one of the challenges with the church is that we have a lot of people that can parrot this stuff. They heard this preacher say they can parrot it in the streets, but they, there's really no fruit to back up what they're talking about. And I, I want to encourage you to rise up from that level uh, where you're not just parroting stuff, but you're confessing God's word and you're seeing the fruit of it in your life. Can I get an amen? I'll tell you, man, fruit is better than talk. You know, talk is too cheap. You go to the store after church today, they'll tell you talk is too You can't pay your groceries with talk, amen? So we've got to uh, uh, go to a place of fruit as Christians. You'd rather know one verse, but you've got fruit off of it than know the whole Bible ain't no fruit because people are going to figure you out. You, you know, your life, man, will figure you out. Man, you're talking way too big, but ain't nothing going on. <laughs> Hallelujah. And so we're going to read it again, but I want you to embrace it, plant it in your heart, and begin to believe God for fruit. Amen. You know, one of the things, deals that, that I made with the Lord was, God, I don't want to preach 
uh, uh, what I'm still trying to figure out. I want to preach what I've tasted and seen in my own life. By the time I'm preaching it, I want it to come from the overflow of the fruit in my life. Can I get an amen? And so that's what we should be doing as the church. Beloved, I wish above all things that you prosper. Where is that prosperity? Over here. Uh, and be in health. Where is that prosperity? Over here. And then we stand on that verse and we see it come to fruition. Can I get an amen? And so Romans 8, 11 becomes a foundational scripture uh, for that. He says, uh, if it's not a question, it's a statement of facts. He says, but if the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives on the inside of you. So essentially what he's saying is the same spirit, not a, a part of that spirit, not a portion of it. The same spirit, molecule for molecule, that same spirit dwells on the inside of you. And because of that, that spirit will make alive or it will quicken your mortal body. So how you live divine health, how you begin to experience divine health is by realizing and recognizing this truth. It's a reality that the same spirit, someone shout the same spirit. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same. He says it resides on the inside of you. And because of that, he knows your body is mortal, right? He's going to have some frailties. But he says you are different because you have the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And because of that, that same spirit will quicken your mortal bodies. And so someone shout, the resurrection life lives on the inside of me. Therefore, it will quicken all of my organs. It will quicken all of my cells and all of my tissues and all of my joints. In Jesus' name. Not because you're doing something to try and get it from out there, but because you're realizing a reality that's already true on the inside of you. Amen. So let's go now to John uh, chapter number 3. John chapter number 3, right? And, and so a lot of people will read that verse and say, Well, Pastor T, I know Romans 8, 11, It says that the same spirit that raised Jesus uh, dwells on the inside of me, but... I have so much pain and the doctor says, I'm, say I'm, gonna, I'm not going to make it. Now, there's nothing wrong with acknowledging what the doctors say. We love doctors, but you've got to be careful where you put your butt. Yeah. Amen? Whatever you put on the other side of your butt is what you really believe. If you say, hey, I really know Romans 8, 11, but the doctors say this is my prognosis, my diagnosis. I'm not going to make it. What you really believe is what you've ended with. Yeah. However, you could flip that around and say, I know the doctors have said that I'm not going to make it and that thing is uh, incurable, but I have the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead and therefore I will not die, but I will live to declare the works of the Lord. So you've got to be careful where you put your butt, right? Hunt your neighbor and say, be careful where you put your butt. You've got to be careful. Where did I tell you to go, John 3? Verse 14. Let's go to John 3, verse 14. We're going to read all the way to, uh, to uh, 16. We're going to try and read all the way to uh, 
uh, 16, you know, 16 is commonly known as the, 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 the salvation verse, right? Everybody knows John 3, 16. And, you know, when they were making us uh, uh, memorize this, man, I wish they'd asked us to memorize all the way from 14 because it's the same story and it's powerful. Listen to what it says from verse 14. He says, and Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Uh, Jesus is making a commentary about what transpired in the wilderness. They were in the wilderness and uh, there was a plague. The, the snakes started biting people. You remember the story? Um, thousands of snakes, man, just showed up, started biting people. And uh, uh, God gave an instruction to Moses. He said, I want you to make a brazen serpent and lift it up. Whoever gets beaten, if they look up to the serpent, what's going to happen? They're going to get healed immediately. That thing will just uh, disappear. And it's interesting that the instruction was not to, uh, uh, when you get beaten, the instruction was not to look at the bite. Because God knows uh, that there's going to be a great temptation to look at the bite. That was not the instruction. God didn't say when you get a bite, Google it. He didn't say that. Because all that's going to do is breed unbelief. He didn't say, you know, compare the bites with other people. You know, when you get a, a, a diagnosis, people go and see reviews of what that sickness will do instead of seeing what the... See, what I'm, I'm, what I'm teaching you is how to live in the divine flow. That's what I'm talking yeah, about. Amen. Have you noticed we're not preaching health diets? <laughs> Have you noticed we're not preaching a fitness regimen? Anybody noticed? I'm preaching the resurrection life, not herbal life. Hallelujah. Amen. I have no problem with Ebola. I'm just trying to get you to see where I'm coming from. Amen. I've got no problem with those things. I've got no problem with, uh, with diets. But, but they, even the people that give a, those diets, man, they're not consistent. They change them. But do you know what I like about God's word? 2,000 years ago, Romans 8, 11 has been saying the same thing. It hasn't changed. It's been saying the same thing. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is on the inside of you. And that same spirit will quicken your mortal bodies. Many years ago, they were trying to tell us sugar is not, is not good. And so we stopped uh, with the sugar. Then they switched it around. They, say, uh, they said, uh, uh, now we've got to be a, a vegetarian. So we all became vegetarians. Then they said, no, actually, you've got to do bunting. So we dropped the vegetables and we went uh, uh, fat. You know, pork, bacon for breakfast, bacon for lunch. I mean, it was a party. Those were the bunting days, right? And then as we were kind of getting used to bunting, they switched on us. Now they said vegan. And then I tried it for a day. I didn't like it. it it's just, they, they, the vegans are the Pharisees of food. That's what I call them. They're the Pharisees of food. Man, I'm telling you, they, they, they are a little extreme. One of, my, one of my nephews is, what, 21 now? He's 21? Yeah. Came to our house the other day. He said, uh, you know, uh, 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 just to let you know that I'm, he was going to stay with us for three, four days. He said, uh, just to let you know, I'm a vegan. I said, what's that? So he's trying to tell me, you know, what it was about. And I looked around in our closet. I said, man, you know, you're going to have to hunt your own food in this closet. <laughs> Because, I mean, we would make some. He's like, man, I don't eat that. I don't eat that. I said, you know what? I'm not going to be help, trying to help you or understand where you just go in the kitchen, you know, hunt. Whatever you find that works with your, with your thing, you, you do that, you know. And uh, he helped himself. And praise God, he lived. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. That he lived. But, but all I'm trying to say, if you're a vegan, I love you. God loves you. And I'm not mad at you. I just love meat. Not because I like it, but because it's biblical. 
You know, even the Lord, when he was sending food to Elijah during drought. In the Bible, even the Lord, this was a heavenly diet uh, cooked by God, given to the ravens to take to Elijah. Even the Lord told Elijah, they're going to give you meat in the morning and they're going to give you meat at night. <laughs> Nothing about vegetables. Hey, I'm just saying. So, it's there in the Bible, right? Man, the emails are coming. I can feel them. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Father. And so he says here, you know, the, the serpent lifted up in the wilderness. Uh, whoever looks on it is going to get healed. Uh, and, 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 you know, before we even continue, I used to wonder, because this is a type and shadow, because then Jesus said in verse 14, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So Jesus is equating himself with the uh, 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 brazen serpent in the, in the Old Testament, right? He's saying just like it was lifted up, so is the Son of Man. And I used to get confused, because I know Jesus is not a serpent. And so I'm like, Jesus, why didn't you make a brazen dove? And you know, the Lord answered me and he said, uh, if you read 2 Corinthians 5.21, you will realize that uh, I became sin. This is Jesus speaking to me. He said, I became sin. I'm not a sinner, but I became sin so that you might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So I became the very thing that was tormenting you so that I, can, I could set you free from it. Similarly, in the Old Testament, Jesus became the serpent, because serpents were tormenting them, so that he could set them free from the serpent spirit. So Jesus is not a serpent, but he became that, so that he could set you free from it. Amen? I said amen. And so now you and I, all we have to do if we're going to receive this freedom is to look up. Because he then goes on to say that whoever believes, uh, uh, whoever believes in him should not perish, but he have eternal life. Verse 15, so how do you believe? You look towards Jesus and not towards what's happening. So when it comes to healing, the bites start. Everybody's getting beaten. Huge temptation to start looking at the bite. Even uh, bigger temptations to start comparing the bites. Let's see how big is yours. Oh, look, mine is swelling up. Oh, mine is, you know, it's getting past. Oh, now it's getting, oh, man. And you're comparing bites. There was no instruction to look at the bite or compare bites. The instruction was to look up. Amen. And he says, if you look up, you'll get instant healing. Bite, look up, healing. Bite, what, bite look up, healing. Amen. Did you see that? Yeah. Bite, look up, healing. Bite, sorry, bite, <laughs> look up, healing, right? Now, here's a shortcut. Let me show you. There's a method to the madness. Here's a shortcut. Just stay looking up. Then bite, healing, bite, healing, bite, healing. So what happens when you live a life of looking up to Jesus is you neutralize everything around you. That's why uh, David could say, no plague shall come my, near my dwelling. A thousand who fall at the side is talking about sickness and disease and all the spiritual enemies for the children of God. He says, a thousand who fall at my side, ten thousand, but it won't touch me because every time it tries to latch itself on you, it's neutralized. Why? Because you're looking unto Jesus. And so when you look unto Jesus, you receive of his very life. Whoever believes shall have what? Eternal life. 
And when you've got eternal life, it leaves no room for death life. And so we talked about uh, three, you know, uh, uh, hindrances to healing. And uh, we said, you know, there are three hindrances to healing. And uh, we talked about uh, all three of them building up to today. The first one was uh, uh, unbelief. You know, which we say unbelief is uh, belief that's un. In other words, you are believing more uh, in the symptoms uh, than you are in God's word. And God has called us to believe in his word and not the symptoms. The second one is traditions of man. Just things that have been passed on from generation to generation that are not in line with scriptures. And those things, he says, they make the word of God void of power. Amen. I think that's Mark 7 verse 13. It makes the word of God uh, void of power. And the third and final one was free will. You know, your ability to choose, you must use it to choose uh, divine health and divine healing. And so one of the uh, traditions we looked at last week was uh, Paul's thorn in the flesh. You remember? Which was given to him because of the abundance of revelation, uh, lest ye be exalted above measure. And we said when God gives you revelation, uh, the, 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 the natural thing that happens, that follows, that revelation is promotion. Exalted above measure. When revelation comes, you're going to be exalted above measure. It's going to reach the nations. To which the enemy, he says the thorn in the flesh was a messenger of Satan to stop him from being exalted above measure. So Satan brought a thorn in Paul's uh, flesh uh, to stop him from being exalted above measure, from being promoted and using what God had given him to reach the known world at the time. So these things that were a thorn in the flesh were Paul's persecutions from people. So a thorn in the flesh is not an ailment. A thorn in the flesh is people that are coming against us and stopping what God has put on the inside of us or slowing it down at least from reaching the entire world. Amen? So that was a tradition that you know generally is been commonly referred to as some sort of ailment that the apostle Paul had and that the Lord didn't heal uh, him uh, from. And it's just not true. There's another tradition that we're going to look at today, and it's an entire book, just an entire book uh, that has been mistranslated, uh, 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 if you will. And so we're going to go quickly now uh, to Job, the book of Job. We're going to go out, uh, and look at that. And uh, really, if you have a wrong understanding of the book of Job, you can fall in the trap of just rolling with the punches. And the enemy will just kind of uh, uh, take advantage of you. I mean, he'll kick your backside, right? He will just take advantage of you and, and, and man, take, take you for a ride, really. So we're going to read from Job chapter number 1, from verse 6 to 12. And we're going to uh, see some things that I believe are really going to be a blessing uh, to you. So Job 1, 6 to 12, he says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves uh, before the Lord, and Satan uh, came also amongst them. And the Lord said unto uh, Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, walking up and down in it, you know, aimlessly like he's still doing, right? He roams around like a aimless little thing trying to seek whom he may devour. It hasn't changed. And he says in verse 8, And the Lord said unto Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth? Now I want you to pay attention to God's opinion of Job, okay? I, wanna, I, want, you to, I want to draw your attention and I want you to put your spotlight on this part here. That, that, that God's opinion of Job is that Job, there is no one like him on the earth. A perfect and an upright man, one that fears God and eschew or shall evil. So when God looked at Job 
God was proud of Job. He said, look at that guy. He's perfect. Man, he shuns evil. And he's an awesome, awesome guy. Do you see what God thinks of Job? Now, the enemy, we're going to see what the enemy, Satan, thinks of Job. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for naught? Or does he fear you for nothing? In other words, he thinks there's always a motive uh, to, to serving and uh, fearing God. And then verse 10, verse 10 is one of my favorite uh, verses because uh, Satan begins to accuse God of being God, of being a good father. You know, we were singing songs about uh, God being our faithful father, and he begins to accuse God of being that. Verse 10, he says, if you not made a hedge around him, around his house, around all that he has on every side. Have you not blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land? So Satan is accusing God of being a good, good father. And God is guilty as charged. He is the one that put the hedge of protection around Job. He is the one that blessed Job's uh, uh, hands, the work of his hands. He is the one that caused Job's uh, substance to greatly increase in the land. God is guilty as charged. I came to tell you this morning that if God did this for Job, an old covenant saint, I can claim the same and more. Why? Because Acts 10.34 tells us that God is not a respecter of persons. That doesn't mean God is not, doesn't respect people. It just means God uh, does not show favoritism. God is impartial when it comes to his children. So what he does for one is automatically assumed that he's going to do for the other. Because God is impartial. So if he did this for Job, guess who else can claim it? me. And this is why I can go into the book of uh, uh, Jeremiah and, and read Jeremiah 29, 11 and claim it for myself today. Some, some, some guy who had a lack of understanding came to me. He says, you can't be claiming Jeremiah 11, 29, 29, 11 because he was talking to the Israel. Well, if it's a good promise and he was giving it to someone who was his kid, guess what? I can claim the same because God doesn't treat the firstborn better than the lastborn. He treats us all the same. There's no favoritism when it comes to God. So guess what? I can go through our scripture and claim things that were told to Abraham. And some of you are like, no, but you're not Abraham. But I'm a part of the family. And God is not going to show favoritism. Guess what? It belongs to me too. So if God put a hedge of protection around uh, Job's house, he's put a hedge of protection around Tavara's house. So someone shout, God has put a hedge of protection around my household. And everything that belongs to me. All my children. Someone shout, God has blessed the work of these hands. And my substance shall greatly increase in the land. Man, you start walking and living your life that way. Everything you touch, everything you get involved with is going to grow. Amen. Amen. I said, amen. amen. And, and to other people, it's going to sound like, you know, you're just being pompous and being arrogant. But no, you're not. If you are truly submitted to God and his uh, uh, opinion and his estimation for your life, everywhere you show up, things will change. Yeah. I have a weird reputation. Every, everything I get. If you want your stuff to grow, call me. I get involved in it. It's going to grow. 
You see, some of you are getting shaky now. If you employ me, your, company, your business is going to... See, I'm not one of those that, you know, I get employed and I, I walk into the office like they're doing me a favor. No, I'm doing them a favor being a part of their plan. Because I bring me and so much more. Can you imagine someone who go, who's got the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you, working for you? Someone who God has put a hedge of protection around, working for you. Can you imagine someone who everything they touch is greatly increased in there? When I show up, you better be glad. Hallelujah. Amen. And so, uh, the enemy, the devil, right? He begins to say to God, he's trying to tempt God to act out of character. Notice he didn't say, but you have put forth thine hand and touched everything that he had and cursed it. He didn't say that. He said, why don't you do this? That's verse 11, right? He's trying to tempt God to act out of character. He said, but you, God, why don't you put forth thine hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. He's trying to get God to act out of character. But God is not the one that still kills and destroys. God gives life and life in abundance. And so God turned around and said to Satan, behold. Someone say, behold. behold. That word behold is not God signing an approval form. The word behold simply means this. Look. It simply means this, open your eyes. If you'd open your eyes, you dumb spirit, essentially, that's what God is saying. If you'd open your eyes, you'd see something. What? What, what should he behold? He should behold that all that he has is in your power. All that means is Satan, everyone on the earth is still in this dispensation, still subject to your influence. That's all that word power it means. It means everything that's on the earth. All that he has is still subject to your influence. Just like today, everything that we have, everything that we are, if we allow the devil to come into our lives, he can influence us negatively. So God is not signing an approval form. He's just saying, open your eyes and see. If you open your eyes and see, you would know that because of what Adam did, you have a period that you can influence people negatively. And our scripture encourages us in Ephesians 4 not to give him place or to allow him to influence us negatively. Because if we do, I mean, it can bring all kinds of consequences. Not from God, but from the environment that we live in. For example, if you run around on your spouse, let me be the first to announce to you today, they're going to leave you. But God will still accept you. But you're going to be back in that wild, wild west market of singles. That is, it's, it's hunger games. She's going to throw you back in there. Now, will God still accept you? Oh, for sure. Will, he, will you make it to heaven? Oh, for sure. But you'll have a tough time on the earth. Because after she leaves you, your kids are going to look at you like some clown. They're not going to take your advice. Because what kind of advice can come from um, this fool who lacks self-control? Now, God is saying, you're still my child. You're still precious. But your kids over here are looking at you like you. This, ah. And so that's what happens when you give the enemy place in your life. The environment will spit you out. And that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying God is going to spit you out. God will accept you. <laughs> but you'll be alone. You'll be going to God on your own. 
And so we know that what happened was the enemy started to go into Job's life and influencing things and making things happen and causing all kinds of commotion. You know the story, right? And then a lot of people get thrown on because what we want to look at now is uh, uh, Job's worldview. What did he think of everything that was happening, all the chaos that was happening? What did he make uh, of it and what should we uh, make of it? So let's go now to Job 16, verse 15. But before we go there, let me just address the section of the church. Not you, those watching online. I know somebody's watching online. <laughs> He's believing God for a, for a job experience. Let me just address those online. Uh, for, for You can't really have a legitimate job experience as a new covenant believer. And let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, the reason is because, first of all, there's going to be a lot of disqualifiers from having a full-on, validated, certifiable uh, job experience. One of them is this, is that in Revelations 12, 7 to 12, we know that there was a war that broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought, past tense. He, said, he didn't say they are fighting. Fought, past tense, with the dragon, you know, Satan. And the dragon and his angels fought and they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So after the enemy was defeated, he was kicked out of heaven. And watch this, nor was any place found for him any longer. So after that fight, the devil couldn't now go before God and accuse people. He was replaced by someone else who's called the intercessor of the brethren. That's Jesus Christ standing next to God as the high priest. So the first disqualifier from having a full-on certifiable job experience is this. You have no one accusing you before God. So you can believe all you want. You can't have a full-on experience. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. And so we know that the enemy is not condemning us before God. Yeah. In fact, Scripture says, if our hearts don't condemn us, then we will have confidence and boldness with God. The only thing that you can allow to condemn you is not God. God will never condemn you. The, your own heart, if you let it slip... It will condemn you. Amen? Amen? So, a new covenant. Man, I go places. People are talking about, oh, I'm just having my job experience. No, you're not. Hallelujah. Amen. And so, let's look at Job's worldview. Uh, Job 10, verse 15. Let me read this in the KJV, if you will. Job chapter number 10, verse 15. Is this helping you? And this is Job speaking, right? Who's speaking? See, when you read the Bible, one of the things you're going to have to learn to do to really rightly divide the word of God is to check who's speaking and what are they saying and who are they saying it to. And so this is Job speaking. This is not God speaking. Job, and this is what Job says. He says, if I be wicked, woe unto me. And if I be righteous, yet will I not lift up my head. I am full of confusion. Therefore, see thou mine affliction. So Job, at one point of making his worldview or trying to assess what's going on in his life, he came to a place at one point in Job 10, 15, where he said, you know what, I, I, I'm actually full of confusion right now. Now question, if, if you went to see a doctor because you had something wrong with you and you, know, you went to see a doctor and uh, they, they you know, welcomed you in in their consultation room. They start talking to you about what's wrong with you and so on and so forth. And they go on to write a prescription. Uh, and they tell you, man, you can get this prescription on your way out at the pharmacy. And you must take these three times a day after uh, meals. And as you're walking out of their uh, doctor's office, they say, oh, just, just a side note. Uh, I'm full of confusion right now. Just, you know, but <laughs> bye. 
How many of you still will go ahead with the prescription? Why not? Because he just told me he's what? He's confused. And so, uh, once you read this verse, Job 10, 15, and Job tells us that he's full of confusion or he's, he's got confusion, it changes the way you should read everything else Job says. If you went to that doctor and he told you I'm full of confusion uh, uh, and you still have sickness and pain in your body, what are you going to do? You're going to find another doctor, right? And essentially, that's what we should do as New Covenant believers. We should find a greater witness whenever we read the Old Testament. And the greater witness is, number one, you look at the life of Jesus. Jesus is the exact representation of God, Hebrews 1.3. If you want to see God, you can just look at Jesus. If you want to see what God is like, if you look at Jesus, you'll know exactly what God is like. If God took a selfie, it will look exactly like Jesus. Amen? And so when you read something about God's character in the Old Testament, check it against Jesus. Can I get an amen? amen? And the second thing you must do is take the new covenant from Matthew all the way to Revelation as your higher authority because it tells us in scripture that that's a better covenant established on better promises. So everything you read in the Old Testament must be read through the lens of the New Testament. And so Job, he says to us, hey, I'm full of confusion. See down my affliction." And so he begins to spell out things from this place of confusion. And, and, and lest you think I'm mad at Job, I'm not really mad at Job because, you know, uh, 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 he had limited revelation. He didn't get the opportunity to read Job 1, 6 to 12. Uh, you know, it wasn't written then. And number one, number two, he's not the author of the book of Job. So he didn't read Job 1, uh, 6 to 12. He didn't know what transpired in the spiritual realm. Now, you and I know exactly what transpired in the spiritual realm. We know exactly who went and caused commotion in Job's life. We know that. Amen? Yeah. And so we have a fuller revelation. And so we, we shouldn't fall into the same trap uh, that Job uh, fell into. And so, uh, 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 you know, when you're confused, I might, I might add, when you're confused, sometimes you hit the bullseye. You know, every often you hit the bullseye. And I was visiting uh, one of my friends in the U.S. They took me uh, uh, to the gun range, and we were shooting guns, and uh, put a gun in my hand. It's the first time I held a gun, and I was confused. I didn't know how to work that thing. And all the bullets, most of the bullets didn't, you know, do anything. They were just outside the range, right? But one of them hit the bullseye. And so I'm not saying everything that Job said is crazy. He's the same guy who said, but this I know, my redeemer lives, and he hit the bullseye. But I'm saying some of the things that he read must be checked out against a greater witness. Can I get an amen? amen. And so now listen to some of the things that he said. We're going to uh, speed read through this. Job 16, 12 to 14. This is Job speaking. He says, I was at ease. In other words, I was just chilling out, minding my own business, right? But he says, but he, capital letter H, I'm reading in the New King James Bible, if you will. New King James Bible. Uh, yeah, let, let's put it up in the NKJV. Watch what it says. Look up, look up. I want you to read it from the, from the projector. He said, I was at ease. You know, I was just minding my own business. I wasn't bothering anybody. But he, capital letter H. Now, once he says he, who is he talking to? He's talking to God. He says, but he has shattered me. Now, we know it wasn't God who was causing the confusion, but from Job's perspective, he's a man full of what? He says, but it must be God. He has shattered me. 
He also has taken me by my neck, put his neck on my, his foot on my neck, right? And he has shaken me to pieces and he has set me up for his target. Is this the, the end of it? Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue reading here. He has set me up for his target. His archers surround me. He pierces my heart and does not pity. He pours out my gall on the ground. He breaks me with wound upon wound. He runs at me like a warrior. Now, this is Job's view of God. And he's saying all these things about God. Now, question to you. Is this true based on what we read in Job chapter number one? It was God the one shattering Job? It, it was God the one breaking Job? You see, now, people read these verses and they come out with the breaking theology. The breaking doctrine. Break me, Lord. Break me, Lord. Because they read this, right? They read this. The last, he breaks me. With, break me, Lord. And then they, some of them graduate. They even start writing songs about it. Oh, break me, Lord. Break. And then the lead guitar starts jumping into you and makes you all emotional. Break me. Now you're saying break. And Lord is saying, the Lord is saying, I don't break people. You break me, Lord. No, I don't break people. Shatter me, Lord. Shatter me. No, I don't shatter people. That's not what I do. I, I put a hedge of protection. That's what I do. Break me. It's just the breaking of the... No, it's not. Amen? I said amen. Now, let's go to Job 9.23. We're going to read a few of them. Job 9.23. He says, when a plague sweeps through, he laughs. At the death of the innocent. Is this true about God? No, it's not. The whole earth is in, in, in the hands of the wicked. And God blinds the eyes of the judges. If he is not the one who does it, who is? Evidently, Job had a limited revelation of what was taking place. Job concludes this thought by saying, If God is not the one who took my child, then who did? I have an answer for you. First Peter 5, 8 to 9 in the NLT, be careful, watch out for attacks from the devil. Your great enemy, he prowls around like a rolling lion, looking for some victim to devour. Take a firm stand against him and be strong in your faith. That's your answer. Job, you said if it's not God, who is? It's the devil. But because he didn't have a revelation that there's an instigator, that there's an opposer called the devil, he thought everything was coming from God. You know, this doctrine around God is, is sovereign. It's, it, it's a dangerous doctrine. And what they mean when they say God is sovereign, God is sovereign. What that means is God is the highest authority in the earth. No one tells him what to do. What it does not mean is God is omnicontrol. God is sovereign, but God is not omnicontrol. God does not control every little thing that happens in your life. If he did, he would make you come to church early on time. If he did, he would make you tithe. Just control it. Amen? He doesn't. You do. Can I get an amen? And so Job is wrong to say, you know, if it's not God, uh, who then? 
It's the devil. Job 10, 20, uh, Job 10, 3, look at it. You look, you, you, it's like coming out of the house. You look and you point it towards heaven. And he says, uh, is it good unto you that you should oppress? He's pointing at God. That you should despise the work of, his, of your hands. God wasn't despising the work of his hands. God was proud of Job. Amen. Amen. He says, uh, uh, and you smile on the counsel of the wicked. Job 13, verse 24. He's accusing God again. He says, why do you hide your face and consider me your enemy? God wasn't considering Job his enemy. He was considering him his friend. Have you considered my servant Job? We have a relationship, right? Uh, Job 16, verse 9. He tears me with his wrath. This is Job's perspective. He, he hates me. No, God doesn't hate you, Job. Chill out, bro. He gnashes upon me with his teeth. My enemy sharpens his eyes upon me. It's limited revelation, but he's saying it from a place of what? Confusion. Yeah. Brother is confused. Now listen to what he says. What else he said? Uh, Job 1.21. I might lose some of you over here, but it still reveals uh, his confusion. Job 1.21. It's what he says. Uh, this is Job speaking from confusion. And he said, naked I came out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, true, and the Lord has taken away. Not true. And then he just kind of sprinkles some religion all over it, right? Uh, blessed be the name of the Lord. <laughs> just because you, you, you end with blessed be the name of the Lord doesn't mean we're going to, you know, completely ignore what you just said. <laughs> half the statement is true, but the other half is, is, is not true. And because of that, it needs to be checked out. That's how you rightly divide the word of truth. Naked I came out of my mother's womb, correct. Naked shall I return thither, correct. Uh, the Lord gave, correct. The Lord has taken away, wrong. The Lord didn't take away. The Lord, this scripture should have read, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked shall I return thither. The Lord has gave and the Lord is still giving. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God gives, he doesn't take. Man, I go to funerals, six year old, and they say the Lord gave and the Lord take away. What, what business does God have taking away, taking away a six year old? They say you wanted more flowers in heaven. God must be bored in heaven. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. Man, he's coming closer to the neighborhood now. I know exactly. He's <laughs> coming closer to the neighborhood. God gives, but he doesn't take away. Can I get an amen? amen? Man, if you run with that doctrine, you're going to be a victim. He says, don't be a victim. You're going to be a victim. Can I get an amen? amen? And now watch what happened. Job 13, verse 15. Some of the things that Job said. <clears throat> Job 13, verse 15. I'm reading in the KJV, right? Job 13, uh, verse 15. This is what he said. He said, though he slay me, <clears throat> yet will I trust him. Even so, I will defend my own ways before him. Let, let me read that one more time, just in case you missed it. He said, though, capital letter H, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. This sounds like an abusive relationship. Though he, well, let me read it. Though he slay me, yet will I, hey, though he slay me, I'm going to leave him.
And yet, a lot of people quote this. I heard a, a famous preacher preach this in a stadium full of people, in an arena full of people. Though he slay me, yeah, will I trust him? Somebody say, yeah, 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 yeah. Hallelujah. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him? It doesn't add up. Can I get an amen? In fact, I, I'm, you know, there's a song called Though He Slay Me. I don't know if it's a hymn. I'm not against the people who wrote it, but it's just not scriptural. I'm not against the people who wrote it. So we're gonna, I'm going to read this song. I'm going to read the lyrics to this song. But I want, what I want you to do is to pretend you are the sergeant of a police station, right? That's what you are. And I'm a, a, a spouse, a, a abused spouse that came uh, just to share with you a, a song that I've just recently wrote, composed for my uh, beloved uh, wife or husband, you know? And so I come to you, you are the sergeant, right? And I say to you, uh, uh, I, God is the spouse, right? I come, God, I come and I return to the Lord, the one who's broken me. The one who's torn me apart. You struck me down to bind me up. You do it all in love. That I might know you in my suffering. Though you slay me, yet I will praise you. Though you take from me, I will bless your name. Though you ruin me, still I will worship. And sing a song to the one who's all that I need. My heart and flesh may fail. The earth below give way. But with my eyes, with my eyes I'll see the Lord. Lifted high on that day. Behold the lamp that was slain. And I'll know every tear was worth it. Though he slay me. Yet will I praise you. Though you take from me. Yet will I trust you. Though tonight I'm crying, let this cup pass from me now. You are still all that I need. Now you are the sergeant. When I finish writing these lyrics, what's the question? You go, Is this for real? Yes. And if I say yes, what are you going to say? You are not going back to that place. Well, let's go. I'm going to put that dude in handcuffs. And essentially, that's how the preachers have represented God to the world. They've gone to the world and say, though he slay us, though he beat us up, he's torn us apart. And no wonder why the world is trying to rescue us from religion. The world, the woke people, they say, man, if that's what's up, you need to leave this thing completely. And they are not wrong. If that's really what's, what's up, I wouldn't be here. What's up with that? It just doesn't make any sense, right? But because it's a wrong interpretation of scripture and what's really, really going on, people have misrepresented God to the nations. Now, this is strong, but it's not wrong. Amen. Amen. And so what I do now is before I, I, I partner with someone, you know, missionaries come. And uh, for the bulk of the missionaries that, you know, people give money to, you know, uh, 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 you know when I was young, they sent missionaries. And missionaries were preaching nothing that you, like what you're hearing this morning. The missionaries, at least that came to where I was, they didn't do any of that. They didn't preach any of the Bible. All they were trying to do us was make us better Americans. That's what they were doing. They were taking us to the movies and take pictures and say, oh, look. 
They even go into the movies now. What's that got to do with my spiritual life? What's, got to, what's that got to do with me living an overcoming life? Look, they're eating popcorn for the first time. So what? I don't care about no popcorn. Give me some word. And so now before I partner with a, with a missionary, I ask them, what are you going to go do there? I'm going to go take them to the movies. No, I'm not giving you a penny. I'm going to go take them, eat popcorn. I know I'm not giving you a penny. I'm going to preach about God. Which God? The though he slay me God or the true heavenly father? Which one? Because before I partner, we've got to investigate this thing. Because I'm not going to finance the wrong uh, uh, perception of God. Can I get an amen? amen? And so when we go to the nations, which father are we preaching? The good, good father or a random father, schizophrenic father who operates from the mercy of mood swings? Which one are we preaching? That's the question. May the real God please stand up. Is that Slim Shady? Is that Slim Shady? Is that Slim Shady, right? If you don't know what that is, just, just, just. I was like, man, I thought the pastor was anointed. Yes, he is. <laughs> Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. I'm still working that stuff out of the system. Amen. <laughs> One day I'll be like you, man. <laughs> and so God shows up, right? God shows up. God shows up. And uh, he, he also makes a commentary on, of what he thinks uh, about what Job said. And this now, what I'm getting ready to read, is God putting the final nail on the coffin on this matter about his true uh, character and personality. And so I'm going to read from Job 38 from verse 1 to 2. Job 38 from verse 1 to 2. He says, then the Lord answered Job out of a whirlwind. He, I mean, it could have been a small, still voice in the heart. No, God wanted Job to hear it. It was a booming, loud voice that you could hear, even if you're taking a nap, right? The Lord answered Job out of a whirlwind and said, Who is this that counsel and question my authority and wisdom by words without knowledge? Or who is this that uh, darkens counsel uh, by words without knowledge? That's the King James way of saying it. Uh, but the English way of saying it, if you read in the CEV, the contemporary English version, this is what he said. Then the Lord answered Job out of a whirlwind and said, Why do you talk so much when you know so little? So after God heard Everything that Job said from Job chapter number 1 all the way to Job chapter number 37, when God put it all together, you know what he called it? A lot of talk, but very limited knowledge. Revelation knowledge, that's what we're talking about. And so you're not going to get a whole lot of deep knowledge by reading something that someone said with a lot of words, but very limited knowledge. In fact, God takes Job on a science lesson. After you told him, you talk so much and you know so little, go and read it when you get home. Chapter 38, chapter 39, God takes Job on a science lesson. He begins to ask him, who puts the stars in the sky? Who makes the sun faithfully come up every single morning? In other words, he's trying to show, the, show him, hey, all I've done is give goodness to this thing. Even through creation, you, if you really look with an honest heart, the conclusion you will get is that God is good and that is good all the time. 
Hallelujah. And I like Job, because if you read in Job 42, verse 3, Job put up his hand. He said, you asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Lord, you asked, who is this that talks so much but knows very little? And then Job puts his hand up. He said, therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful which I didn't know. So Job ran a white flag and he said, I surrender. I've been doing a lot of talk. It wasn't all true. Now, the problem is if you go and dig some stuff from what Job said, which he already told you, I'm running a white flag, it wasn't true, you still go back there. And you want to tell people he gives and he takes away. What's wrong with you? You still want to take people, tell people, he's, though he's slaying me, what's wrong with you? Now, the problem is not Job anymore because Job ran a white flag. Now, the problem is you. And so when God came back on the scene... 42 verse 10, uh, and the Lord, the who? The Lord. I didn't hear that. I almost heard that. This is what God does when he comes on the scene. And the Lord restored fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. And also the Lord gave. Someone say the Lord gave. And notice he didn't say the Lord take. The Lord is not taken. The Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. And I have to quit because I'm out of time. Why don't you stand on your feet? Thank you, Jesus. Someone shout, I have a good father. He knows my name. Someone shout, he's faithful. He puts a hedge of protection around me. Everything that I touch touch is blessed. blessed. My substance substance shall greatly increase in the land. He is a good, good father. father. Today, Today, I have come to realize realize that I've accused him him of being an evil evil father. Father, Father, forgive me. me. I repent today. From thoughts that are contrary to your word. Now I know that I have a father who is faithful to only do good. Only good in my life. Now I know that every good and every perfect gift is from above. And it comes down from the father of lights who is faithful. I receive this truth in my heart, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hey, listen, you want to live an overcoming life? You have to keep your feet standing on this foundation. That God is good and that is good all the time. Amen. And, 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 you know, you're going to get around people that have, have it all to You don't have to be nasty about it, but, you know, take your time, love on them, and, and share with them that God is good. He's, he's good. Don't mock people. When they start, you know, preaching, he gives and he takes away. Just love on them and build bridges, build a bridge so that you can minister to them. You know, people don't care what you know until they know you care. Amen. And so some of you, you caught a brand new revelation. When I caught this revelation, uh, man, I went crazy. 
right? I went crazy. I was on fire. I mean, it was something the Lord deposited in my heart. And I, I, man, I wanted to correct everybody that I could come across and it didn't turn out so well. And so I changed the strategy. And so what I do is I connect with people, love on them. And I say, hey, let's look at it from a different perspective, from a place of love, not from a place of I'm right and you are not. And I do that and I've been successful. At, at showing people that our Heavenly Father is a good, good Father. Amen. He doesn't give thorns in the flesh. He doesn't prune like the way they, you know, talk about pruning. We're going to look at that because that can stop you from receiving from the Lord. I'll show you through Scripture what pruning, real Bible pruning means. It's not what you, it's not cutting you up. Amen. Man, your Heavenly Father loves you and He's embracing you. And he wants you to do well. He's cheering you on. And when you have this established in your heart, your faith will begin to work optimally. If this is still not concluded in your heart and it's still, you know, up for a discussion and up for debate, it compromises your faith and your ability to receive. You know, you will know things that are coming from the enemy. You just kind of receive them as, oh, God is allowing them to do this. He's no, he's not. And neither should you. If God doesn't allow it, don't allow it. Can I get an amen? We're going to pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you. Lord, I just thank you for this revealed truth that you are a good, good father. I thank you for this revealed truth that you are faithful. You are a faithful father. A father that faithfully gives us a promise and faithfully uh, see it come to pass. Lord, I pray for every single one of your children under the sound of my voice. I just pray right now that every seed of revelation that has been sown in their hearts uh, will bring forth fruit to some 30, to some 60, and to most a hundredfold without measure, without limit. Lord, I just thank you, Father, that none of these... Uh, your children will fall prey to the schemes and the plans of the enemy. None of these, your children, uh, will be deceived uh, by the enemy. Uh, but Father, that they will stand on this truth. They will stand on your word and know that you are a good father uh, whose intention is to do good in their lives. Lord, I just thank you and I give you all the praise. It is in Jesus' name that we pray and someone said amen. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. Thank you for listening. To find out more about how you can become a partner, visit faithhill.tv today.